Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've spent almost a year in 1 Corinthians, and now we are at chapter 11. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been discussing what it means to consider the way in which our conduct and behavior impacts the faith and the moral sensibilities of those around us, right? Uh, how, how, how we behave, how we live in our liberty, affects others. For instance, Paul admonishes the Corinthians to consider how what they eat and what they choose to associate with affects the conscience of weaker brothers and sisters, causing them to stumble or to doubt. And so he's warning them that that these associations that we often have that may be nothing to us, may be no big deal to us and our personal convictions, we've got to be careful at how we behave and how we act and what we say because we as believers have to be primarily concerned with other people's souls and protecting the weak around us. The biblical paradox is that we are given freedom to voluntarily restrict our freedoms for the sake of other people. That's what the freedoms are for. So an example of that is, is you can't choose to give, you can't choose to give away a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars. Right? I mean, you, you might want to do that, but you can't, you can't do that. See, you can't dispense what you are not afforded. Right? You can't. You can't dispense what you're not afforded. Our blessings of grace and forgiveness and liberty in Christ are given to us so that we are free to sacrificially adapt to the environments, cultures, and customs of those that we seek to win to Christ. The, the freedom in Jesus, the forgiveness, the liberty, the freedom from the law is actually given to us as a gift so that we might be able to adapt our lives, that we might be flexible to enter into other cultures and other environments and very freely live as other people live, that we might reflect the awesome and powerful grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. And so here's our key point. This is to help set us up for where we're going today. Our consideration... Our consideration for other people must set limitation on our liberty. It must do that. That is, that, that is only if we're willing to do that. Right? It, it doesn't work if we're not willing to set limitations on our liberty. If we're not, we're not willing to consider other people, it won't work. Right? What good is the liberty if it's not intended to be extended to other people and to minister to other people? So as we get into chapter 11, Paul continues addressing this issue of liberty. And what we will discover today is that as we make uh, these liberated adaptations for the sake of souls, that we must be careful, we have to be very careful to do so in a way that does not contradict the divine order and structure that God has put in place. All right, now, this is is like, I'm coming out the gate hard today, right? There's no like cute illustration, I'm just coming at you. The reason is we have a lot to cover today. We have a lot. And so what sounds maybe kind of abstract and difficult right now, uh, I hope it's going to make more sense as we continue on through the sermon. But I want to warn you in advance. Okay? I think it's only fair 
to warn you in advance that today's sermon, for some of you, will be the most polarizing uh, sermon that you've heard to date uh, from me, okay? And, and the reason is, some of the things I'm going to say today, that, that you know, we've talked about this, how culture has permeated the church, right? The secular world has permeated the perspectives uh, that we hold to, uh, or we're supposed to hold to, as God's bride. And it's affected us. It's tainted the way that we see everything. And, uh, and so a lot of us have been affected by the culture, and so our perspective is off. It's just off kilter a little bit. And so some of the things that I'm going to say today are going to, to be abrasive for you to hear. And so here's what I'm going to ask of you, okay, right up front. I want to ask you that you would suspend your um, cultural disbelief or your, your presumptions, and that you or that we collectively would choose to simply believe that God's word is divine, Amen? It's a divine book that's been given to us. It is the authority over our lives. Amen. And so let's just remember that, that God's word is the authority by which we should, we should conform. It should not conform to us. Right? We should not abuse it. We should not adapt it to fit within our views. We should, we should form our lives around what it says. See, our opinions... My opinions have very little to do with the matter. Obedience is not contingent on how we feel, but how we perceive our God. Truth doesn't have to feel reasonable to be right. So let's, let's trust God at his word today. Now, I also want to warn you that this passage is often misunderstood and manipulated to justify many man-made ideas and religious presumptions. Things such as, okay, here's a little teaser on some things we're going to dispel today. Things such as the idea that, that women ought to wear head coverings or veils to cover their faces when they go to church. Okay? Are you, some of you didn't even know about that. What? What? Uh, others go to this passage to accuse Paul of being uh, misogynistic and a bigot. They'll use this passage to, to make divisive claims against Paul to undermine him. Other people go to this passage to proclaim that men should not have long hair and women should not have short hair. And they, what people will do is they'll take this passage and they will, they will impose their own ideas on it. So while the passage carries a lot of imposed baggage, I believe that what we're going to study today is rich with principles that are important for us to understand and we should prayerfully trust God to give us wisdom as we spend time studying today. So as, as we begin, I want to ask us a couple questions as per usual, okay? First question is this. Do I understand how I fit in God's order? Okay? Do I understand how I fit personally in God's order? And we got a second question too. Uh, two for the price of one, right? Do I know how to take culture into consideration as I personally reflect submission to God's order, right? Do, do, as I declare my submission through my actions, through my words, as I declare my submission to God and the order that he's given me and where I fit, as I declare those things, do I know how to adapt those things when I, when I move into other cultures or circumstances? Okay, now all this, I pray, I, we're gonna pray. I pray all this is going to make sense. 
and that the Lord will help us. This is big stuff, okay? You gotta, gotta put your big boy boots on, tie them up tight, okay? Can't afford to lose anybody today. This is, this is, this is the spirit of Christmas ha- hammer. This is the spirit of the Christmas hammer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be hammering today, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this people. Um, thank you for uh, just how you've brought them here. Uh, thank you for the friendships that I have, um, the love that I have. Thank you for the opportunity to get to know new people who are coming into our ministry all the time. It's, all, it's very difficult to keep up, but I'm, I'm grateful for them, and I, and I pray that they know that I love them um, and that, uh, that I care for them. And uh, Lord, I, I pray even more so that they know that you love them and that your truth is, is truth. <laughs> it's absolute. And it is the authority for their lives. And I pray that today that we would, we would have the grace in our hearts uh, necessary to submit to what we learn. We need you. And, and in our flesh, man, there's so much in your word that we don't like. Um, I mean, in fact, we, humanity was so stubborn in the way that they saw things, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't even recognize the Messiah when he showed up. Um, you, oh, you, ca- you, came, you came the wrong way, <laughs> was, was what they said. And so they refused to believe. And it's, it's absurd. It's absurd how we do impose our baggage on you. Uh, Lord, let your word be true and every man a liar. And so, Lord, I, I pray that today we would all submit ourselves to the simple truth of your word. We need you. And we need you to teach us, Lord, how we fit within the order that you've created. Uh, you are orderly in everything that you do. And so, Lord, teach us to find our place in that order. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin by reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow along on the screen. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uh, uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all ones, uh, one as if she were shaven. It's as if she was, her head was shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman." but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a, ma- if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You see what we're in for today? This is no joke. 
And I didn't break it down into smaller bite-sized pieces. No, I'm going to cram all this down your throat today, okay? So here we go. Let's start here in verse 1 where it's talking about being followers of me. Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Now I pray, uh, praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Paul is establishing the parameters for our study today. And as he does so, he says, be ye followers of me. He is using himself as an example of the liberty that they're supposed to have and how they're supposed to exercise it. And in this way, his example is a bridge between chapter, 11 and chap- or chapter 10 and chapter 11. All right? He functions as a bridge. And it's very simple. He says, as I follow Christ, you follow me. I will be an example to you. And this is a really important leadership principle that we should, that we should consider all right, in our, in our own ministries and how we invest in other people. See, what Paul's saying is, I would never ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Anything that I ask of you, I will model with my own life exactly what I'm talking about. I think, I think a lot of us fall into the trap of, of, of maybe delegating or informing other people of how they ought to be, but then themselves, like ourselves, we, we neglect to actually live that out and be an example, which is why I love the fact that I see my pastor, Pastor Sam, often downstairs cleaning, taking out the trash, right? On, on work days, he is there. He would never put himself in a position where he's asking you or I to do something that he himself is not willing to do. Those are the types of leaders that we want to follow. That's what we refer to as servant leadership. And so what Paul's saying here is, as I serve the Lord, you follow along with me, and I will model the way in which we together collectively should live. Now, he's also praising them. He's telling them how they've, they've done so good, right? He said, you've done a good job. I praise you, is what he says. And he praises them that they're adhering to the things that he taught them, specifically in honoring the Lord's Supper, okay? That's the context. That's where we've been camped out, and we'll come back to that idea of the Lord's Supper. What he's saying is, good job, job well done. But as you know, no preacher ever says, job well done, at least from the pulpit or in a letter, without following that up with some, like, serious spiritual karate chop, (laughs) right? So he's like, hey, you're doing a good job in this area. Good job. Patting him on the head. And, but he's setting him up because here at the end of the chapter, it's, he's going to have some really hard things to say about the way that they're conducting the Lord's Supper is a little bit shameful. And he's going to point out those issues as we get a little bit further into the chapter um, next time we get together. Now, I want to point out to you this phrase where Paul says that they kept the ordinances as he delivered them. This word ordinances means instructed traditions. Okay? And this word ordinances has generally in scripture, um, or this word tradition, uh, has generally in scripture a negative connotation. Okay, now now sometimes it's a good connotation. We'll get to that in a second. But but generally it's a negative connotation. Now let's, let's pause and try to understand what he's talking about. Every church that Paul ministered to, he taught them, did he not? Right, we saw this when we studied Acts. He taught them. He taught them doctrine, and he taught them traditions, and he taught them the commandments of Christ that had been handed down to him and the apostles. That's what he did. He went and he taught. Now, he didn't teach them so that they would just forget when he, wa- when he walked away, that they would just ignore it all. He taught them that they might adhere to those things, 
right? That they might submit to those ordinances that he taught. But sadly, we often discover that men invent their own doctrines. They like to, they're, they're real creative this way. They like to create their own doctrines. They like to create their own ordinances. They like to create their own traditions. Why? Why do they do that? Why are men prone to that? Why are spiritual leaders prone to that? Because they do it in order to exercise greater control or boundaries around God's people. They generally create, there's two reasons why uh, spiritual leaders don't just simply teach the Bible, but also add things to the Bible, right? Further boundaries, right? Greater limitations. The reason they do that is for two reasons. Maybe it's because they want to exercise greater control, right? This This is the stuff cults are made out of, right? They want to exercise greater control over God's people, and they want to usurp God's authority for their own. They want to replace God's authority, so they create extra things. Like, yeah, that's what, that's what that says, but I also say blah, 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 blah. Now, you understand that this is what the Pharisees were doing, okay? The Pharisees were doing this, and this is what the rabbinical order had set up in Jewish tradition. In, this is what we find in the first century uh, synagogue worship is that they were adhering more to what the Talmudic writings said than actually what Scripture said, all right? That they were following the rabbinical teachings more than they were following what Scripture said, the Jews were. And so this is something that men do. Now, so they do it sometimes to exercise greater uh, control over God's people, but a lot of times they also do it because they're afraid. They're afraid of the world around them. They're afraid of the culture. They're afraid of secularism. They're afraid of sin. They're afraid of the wickedness and the darkness that lies out there in the streets. And so what they do is they create further parameters to protect God's people from the things that they fear. I'm pretty confident that God told me the only thing I should fear is him. And if I fear him, I will fear nothing else. And so I don't need extra man-made rules or ideas or traditions or doctrines of men in order to protect me from the world. I've got God. So so listen to how Paul addresses this with the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, if you're already dead in Christ and you're dead to all of these rudimentary things that you see in the world, why? Why behave, essentially, or act as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using. In other words, these are the further rules. Don't touch this. Don't do that. Don't be be careful. Watch where you're walking. Don't step on a crack. You'll break your mother's back. (laughs) Okay, listen. So he says... As though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances after the commandments and the doctrines of men. Men create doctrines. You create them for, for your own life. And some of you do it because you're just afraid. You're afraid of the world. You're afraid of living. And so you create your own little legalisms that you conduct and, 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 and you live out in your, own, in your own home. Now Christ addressed this with the Jewish people who had added religious traditions to God's word as we already spoke of and in their fear sought to control people rather than liberate them. Matthew chapter 15 verse 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the result of this is always going to be 
a heart issue. You might continue to look pious. You might continue to look religious and holy. But if you set up these boundaries because you're afraid or you need to exercise some further control in your spiritual life, it's always going to create distance between you and God. And he says, to the, he says here, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, replacing my teachings with the commandments of men, which, as you know, is inferior. So the Jews of Christ's day had convinced themselves that their legalism, their religious works, had earned God's favor, that it made them holier, and it made God happier with them. The problem is that we don't do things to earn God's favor. We don't, we don't need to do things to earn God's favor. We do things because of God's favor towards us already. That's why we do things. Now, as we're talking about the ordinances, it makes, it makes uh, Lord's Supper and baptism a great example of this. You don't get baptized to earn God's favor. You get baptized because his favor has already been bestowed upon you through a, through a, 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 a man-child, a, a God coming to earth in a manger, living a perfect life, and dying on the cross for our sins. His favor was bestowed upon you. His grace was bestowed upon you. And you get baptized because you just simply acknowledge the love that he already has for you. The same thing is true with the Lord's Supper. We don't take the Lord's Supper in order to gain his favor or to earn something with him. We don't do that because we want, we want a good pat on the back from God. We do it as a result of what he's already done for us. We do it to honor the favor that we've already gained through Jesus Christ. In other words, there are men's traditions and there are the tra traditions of grace and truth that the apostles taught. Second. Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15 says therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or our epistle Paul saying look hold on to the doctrines that the apostles have taught you whether you've received it by mouth or by letter hold to those things hold to those traditions now over the last 2,000 years of western civilization a lot has changed has it not okay it's changed a lot Social constructs and cultures have changed in countless ways for both good and bad. People are afforded more human rights for good and for bad. And in, and in this time, over, over, this, over all these years, over these thousands of years, we have seen the lives of both men and women change drastically. Right? Haven't we? I mean, look at all the women wearing pants in here today. Right? Evidence. <laughs> Evidence that things have changed. That's good, right? That's, pants are good. <laughs> Dresses are good too. Right? Things have changed for good and for bad. Uh, but what we, know, uh, what we must know is that there are some truths that transcend our culture or politics. There are some truths that are eternal and they just persist. Regardless of how society changes regardless of how culture changes. God has created an order between men and women, and it must be observed and honored regardless of what academia or the media or your family and friends say about the topic of gender. Regardless of what they say. There's an order that God's created. Okay, so let's talk about God's order. Verse three, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. 
and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So what we have here is a declaration of God's order and design. And we know from creation, and we know that God is not the author of confusion. You know that, right? He loves order. But we know from creation that he has a purpose and an objective within each nuance of his creation. What does they say? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not really into science. It's cool and all, but I just don't know much about it. What do they say about the sun? That if it was like a mile, a mile closer or something to the earth? I don't know. Less. Have you guys known? Less than that. Yeah. Do you know how much less? Of course you don't. <laughs> yeah. They say if it was closer by a fairly insignificant amount that we would all be dead. God's creation is so precise. It's so nuanced in every way. His order is perfect. He's got it figured out. All the much more for human beings, man and woman, whom he created in his very image. Right? Like he put, he put the stamp of his image on you. How much more does he desire that you would fit within the order that he's created? So now let's consider some simple truths that are going to help us as we move forward. The first thing is this. We're going to look at this. That, that is that the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Okay, so first of all, let's address that Christ is equal with God the Father. You know that, right? That in the Godhead, among the Spirit, among Christ, and among God the Father, they are co-equal. They all work together. And we know that here in John chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. They wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because of what he said. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That was a problem for people, that Jesus was equal with God or that he was saying he was equal. It was a problem for people. But the truth is that Christ is equal with God the Father. That the Holy Spirit is equal to Jesus. That they are one. But yet, Christ has also submitted to the headship of God the Father. He's chosen submission. He's, cho he's chosen to function within the will that his Father has given him. John chapter 6, verse 38, he declares this very thing. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So just briefly, there's a, I, made a, I made some graphic images today. All right? Very simple. Fancy. Can't you tell? I was a designer. You can't tell? So Christ equals God the Father. They are equal. We could, we could also put up there, equal the Holy Spirit. You're getting ahead of me now. No, it's fine. It's fine. You go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, move that. But in this dynamic, we also recognize that Christ has chosen to be submitted to God the Father. In other words, he sits beneath the will of his Father. Equal. Equal. Right? And, and equitable. And equitable. And, and by equitable, what I mean is things can be different despite being equal. There can be differences. And there are differences. There's differences between the character of the Father and the character of Christ. They have different functions and different roles. They're different, but equal. And that's completely acceptable in the economy of God. He understands that. We struggle with it. But this is how he's made things. It's not an issue of value and worth. It's an issue of order. It's, a, it's an issue of design. Okay, so let's consider this next part. 
that the head of every man is Christ. So man being male, male, males were made in Christ's image. But we are not equal with Christ, are we? We're not equal with Christ. We are submitted to Christ as, as the authority over our lives. We are to be submitted to him. And men are submitted to him, and in turn, the woman is submitted to man. That's what it says here. And the head of the woman is the man. Okay, so listen. Scripture talks about this. Is everybody okay so far? Yeah. Uh, no, one, no one threw a tomato at me just now. Or a clementine orange, right? Which is what's available to you. Yours is in your pocket? I hope it takes you a long time to fish it out, because I'd rather not be pummeled by oranges today. So what the Bible says, it's what the Bible says. And it reinforces this uh, idea over and over again. Ephesians chapter five, verse 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife. He's the head. He's the authority. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So what we have here is the order of authority that God has put in place. But listen, this does not mean that men have the right to lord or master over women. In fact, it's quite the opposite Okay, being the head, being the leader, actually, actually results in you having to sacrifice. Ephesians 5.25 continues by saying, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. In other words, Jesus Christ gave his very life. He sacrificed everything in order to be the head of, of, of his bride. It cost him his very life. And, and, and the, the truth is that, that husbands should do the same for their wives. They should lay their very lives down. They should put aside all their personal desires and comforts in order to live a life that honors their relationship with their wife. We don't see a whole lot of that going on in marriage dynamics anymore. We don't see that very often, but that's the truth. So let's look at the diagram. <laughs> man, man equals woman. Not, well, not, they're not, you know, we're getting to that. But listen, in God's eyes and in God's economy, men are every bit as valuable as women and, and women are every bit as valuable as men. There is no difference in the grace and love economy of God. He holds them with, with, with great love and great worth. But the truth is, is, the next slide, is that the woman should be submitted to the man because that's the order that God created. That's the command of scripture that we find here. Now let's make some things clear, okay? The fact that this is the order of God's design does not change the fact that both men and women each face unique hurdles and difficulties in life. It's hard to be a woman sometimes and it's hard to be a man sometimes, Right? There's a lot of man hate going on nowadays, right? The woke mob has got men on blast constantly, especially if you're white. It's like 2022 sucks to be a white guy. I mean, every, every depiction of men in sitcoms and in commercials, especially white men, is just sheer stupidity. And in every commercial and every sitcom, a woman is the hero. Why? Because God's order is under attack. We live in a, wor a world where we don't understand equality and we don't understand equity despite the fact that we talk about it constantly. Yeah. It's all we freaking talk about. 
equality and equity, and we don't understand it one bit. We live in a world that is actively ignoring the biological differences between a man and a woman. Now listen, you can't tell me that it's fair or right for a trans man, I'm gonna say trans man, because he's posing as a woman, that's the right term, to compete in women's sports. How is that right? Tell me how that's right. You know it don't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. And yet, this is what our world calls equality. That, they just slap that label on it, equal. There's nothing equal about that. There's nothing, there's nothing equitable about the very best female athletes in the world losing to the most mediocre men dressed as women. Yeah. It's not right. There's nothing equal about it. There's nothing equitable about, about it. So you tell me right now, does our world understand order? No, they love chaos. They're committed to chaos. They're committed to confusion. No thank you. No thank you. I'm going to go with God's design. That's what I'm going to go with. So here's our next key point. In God's design, he includes a structure of headship. It's just part of his design. And by headship, I mean authority. That's what that means, authority. Headship means to voluntarily function within a system of leadership and accountability. That's what it means. It means to, to purpose to let yourself be accountable to authority structures that God has put in place. God's order says it's right and appropriate to submit to someone who's head over us. That's what it says. That's, that's what God's headship means. So for instance, growing up, your father should have been the head of your home. He should have been. But if you're anything like me, that structure just didn't exist. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. In fact, what was modeled for me from my father in the short time that he was with my family was only just abuse and neglect. That's the only thing I saw. That was my example. And some of you can relate to that. Some of you understand that. So where did I learn submission? Where did I learn headship? I learned it in the church. I learned it in the structure and the order of the church. I learned it as I submitted to my pastors and leaders. That's when I discovered that order actually works, that it makes sense. There's a way of doing it where it's mutual, it's sacrificial, it's life-giving, it's empowering, it's effective, it's fruitful. <laughs> That's where I learned it. And as I learned how to exist in a headship authority structure, I was more equipped to lead myself. And, and this, is where, this is where I've learned, right here at, at Midtown Baptist Temple, is where I learned to be a good father and a good husband and lead in my home. This is where I learned that, from simply watching the way pastors treat, treat people in the church and the way that people in the church treat their pastors and the way leadership works and the way Bible studies work and the way discipleship works. Watching that happen and unfold is where I realized that, that this order thing, there's something to it. For women, the leadership of pastors and elders should prepare you to find a husband that is also a good shepherd. You understand that? All the single ladies, you need to pay close attention 
Because in the sacrifice that you see the male liter- taking place in the male leadership in your life in this church, you should be looking for that kind of sacrifice and that kind of shepherding in the man that you choose to be your husband. Do not sell yourself short. And you should also learn, likewise, through submission here within the, the church context, how to submit to him as a wife. So with these words, Paul makes it clear that God has established principles of order, authority, and accountability. And this is the foundation for the remainder of our study. All right? It's just getting good, y'all. I haven't even, I only think I've, I've addressed the most controversial stuff yet. Okay? It's going to be good. Alex is like, yeah, man. All right. Now, as we've gone through 1 Corinthians, we've taken quite a bit of time to discuss how similar Corinth was to our contemporary age, right? The similarities. We've been drawing those parallels in order to make application, haven't we? But, but there are also many areas of cultural differences between us and Corinth. After all, it was 2,000 years ago. I think there would be some differences, right? Um, and as I said at the beginning of the sermon, this is a complicated passage, primarily because historically speaking, there's a lot we just don't know about the culture of Corinth during this time. We just don't know. History books don't say anything about it. And our passage gives us limited information. But I think, I think here's the deal, that so oftentimes pastors and Bible students are in such a hurry to make a point. They're so quick to make their point, in fact, that they fail to understand that this passage isn't about head coverings or long hair or short hair. That it's not about those things. And what we're going to discover here is that there are clearly some cultural differences between us and the early Christians in Corinth. But nonetheless, what we will find is that despite those cultural differences, God is seeking to establish a church who is willing to function within this principle of headship. That's what he's looking for. So verse four, you with me? You feel very studious today? Okay, four, every man praying or prophesying, which means teaching. The word prophesying means teaching. (coughs) Having his head covered dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. You know, that's what they, that's what they did to, to prostitutes, okay? Is that they would be shorn, okay? Their hair would be cut short as a disciplinary mechanism. So this is obviously having your head shaven is not a good thing, all right? For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if, be a, if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Man, what the heck is going on here? So as I mentioned before, there's a lot of history about head coverings and things that we don't understand about Corinth, but that's not really the issue here. Now in Orthodox Judaism, males cover their heads even today. Have you not noticed that? Right? Like an Orthodox Jew, a male will have, uh, a, sometimes they call them yarmulkes, but it's a kippah they'll wear on their head, right? A head covering. It's like a small brimless hat. Um, now, now the, the kippah originated in the fourth century AD. It's a fairly, it's, you know, it's a little more recent than our story today. And so that's a tradition 
that Orthodox Jewish men hold to that happens to be the exact opposite thing that Paul's asking of the men in Corinth. Just happens to be opposite. Many Middle Eastern women, they veil themselves even today, don't they? If you go to the Middle East in certain cultures, certain countries, you will find that the women will veil themselves today, which was common in Paul's day, clearly, right? This is what he's advocating for. He's requesting in this passage that when the women go into the church, that they would veil themselves, they would cover their head. Now, in the American South, though, today, like if you go down to Alabama, I don't know, somewhere in the South, Virginia, Virginia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kentucky. When you go down to the South, in certain churches, you're going to find that women wear hats in church. It's, it's common. It's cultural. Maybe less so now than maybe a decade or two ago. But, it, but it's a fairly common thing for women to wear hats in church. And for young men to take their freaking hats off in church which apparently we don't adhere to, <laughs> right? I know, you guys, I know you guys don't like this. My, here's, my, here's my next key point. If you don't comb your hair, start. <laughs> we, know, we, know this, we know that this is just because you're lazy, boys. That's the real reason. Now, in parts of the Eastern Bloc, right, places like, like, hungry, um, one might find that a conservative woman would wear a scarf on their head uh, in church. It's a customary practice. They, they would wear a scarf, and they wear it probably just for church. And they wear this scarf to church, and uh, that's, that's common in the Orthodox practices and the Orthodox influence on the church in the Eastern Bloc. Now, these are all examples of cultural distinctions, not laws, These are cultural distinctions, not laws that impact somehow our standing or our favor with God. Do you understand that? In chapter 10, we read that that whether we wear a head covering or not, it has no bearing on our standing with God. Listen, what does it say in in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? All things are lawful unto me, right? Isn't that the words? All things are lawful for me. So wearing or not wearing a head covering in church does not make you a better Christian. However, what we did learn is that not all things are expedient and not all things edify. In other words, here's here's my example for you. In other words, if you're a woman going on a missions trip to Hungary to visit the Horvaths, you would want to make sure to check to see if the custom in their church is for women to wear a scarf over their head in church or not. You would want to find out in advance. Hey, am I going to need to wear a scarf? Because I want to make sure that I don't want to offend anyone. And so I want to follow the customs of whatever it is that they do there because I'm there to honor and to invest and to love, not to distract. And because I would like in my being there, my presence there, to reflect the order that God has given men and women. And if that means in Hungary that I wear something on my head, then I will do that. Or for example, if you're a man going on a missions trip, to preach and to teach in India, you probably want to cut your long hair before you go and accidentally offend the native people in the region that you're preaching in. Now, if you're in Mumbai or like a big city, that might not be an issue. 
But when you get out into rural areas, their expectation is that men have short hair because that's the order of things, customarily. And you want to honor that because your job is to reflect the order of God. We want to understand how to uphold the depiction of God's order within the cultures that we encounter. So here's our key point. Yielding to customs acknowledges how culture has unique ways of communicating. Communicating specifically God's creation and order and his headship. And we need to learn, we need to learn how to acknowledge those things. Why? Because our primary concern is not whether or not our hair is long or short. Our primary concern is not whether or not our head is covered or not. Our primary concern is reflecting God's divine order for men and women. That's our, that's our concern. Evidently, Corinth had cultures and customs that were intended to reflect proper gender structures. Customs that distinguished between what was respectable, effeminate behavior from what was respectable, masculine behavior. Paul's instruction was that the church reinforce those cultural norms in order to reflect God's headship and order. And at, at Corinth, what that meant was dudes wore, uh, didn't wear stuff on their head and that women did. That's what that meant. And by doing that, it reinforced the headship principle that there is authority structures and that God has made men and women different. Now, the key to all this, obviously, is headship. In verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. So that was their custom, which declared we are responsible for manifesting God's glory through submission. That's the declaration. So check it out. Here's the picture. Spiritually speaking, men glorifying God without a spiritual covering. Why? Because nothing should stand between him and God. That's the picture. A dude doesn't wear something on his head. Why? Because he's to submit to God and nothing should stand between him and God. So, dude, so a dude doesn't wear something on his head. That's how we reflect that truth. That's what Paul is saying. And spiritually speaking, women glorify God through submission to their husbands. And so they should wear something on their head to reflect the fact that they submit to, to their, their husbands. This, this, here's the deal. We see this as restrictive and imprisoning. We see this as bondage. But the truth is, for them, this was freedom. It was freedom. I mean, isn't it wonderful to know that God has provided a plan for women to not be relegated? That you are a subject of God's affection and his redemptive work and love, and that he has made you to be valuable, as valuable as anyone else, and that he's provided you a, a structure that's supposed to be freeing, let me explain something to you. We're real obnoxious in America. You know that, right? And we think that everything we do is right. But I want to tell you something real quick. That if you go to some of these places in the world where the gospel is fresh and new, okay? If, if you go to a place like India and you go out to these rural places where people have just learned the gospel and you ask their women what Christianity has done for their life and they will tell you very plainly that Jesus Christ has set them free from the bondage of their marriage, that God did something in the heart of their husband and suddenly the order has changed and now they are free, free to serve God, free to learn in the church, free to take notes, free to be a part of community, 
free to be a part of Bible study, be free to be a minister of the gospel. That Christianity and the order that God has given us has actually set them free from the bondage and the confusion that a secular world, a pagan world, has imposed upon them. If you can't see that women are less free in a secular world, then you're blind to what's going on. Jesus Christ and God has created order to set women free, to set men free, to make them mobilized and liberated to live in light of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. But let me warn the men real quick that if you fail to be a covering for your wife or sister in Christ, if you abuse your authority and you become a detriment to her, you're going to give an account for that. You're going to give account for that, that mistreatment, and I ain't going to put up with it. That's for dang sure. You are not better, so you better not act better. You, you better act humble, because that's what the order says of you. That's what God's divine order says of you. Now, God's order is reflected in creation. Verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Okay, what is this saying? Here's our key point. Men and women are distinctively purposed, but equally loved. Men and women are distinct, distinctly purposed, but equally loved. Men and women are different. They're different. They're different. No amount of testosterone that you can pump into a woman's body will make her a man. And no amount of estrogen or hormone treatment or surgery will make a man a woman. They've been, they've been distinctly purposed from birth. Adam was made from the dust. That's what Genesis chapter two, verse seven. God made him and he made him in his image. Eve was made from the rib of Adam's side. Genesis chapter two, verse 22. And Eve was intended to be a help to Adam in life, but this does not make her less than, does it? Verse 11 says, nevertheless, neither is the woman or is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord for as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. This is a declaration that despite their differences, within the kingdom economy, both man and woman are equal before God. This is not a discriminatory design, but an orderly one. You all right so far? We've got more. It's essential to understand that being under authority does not equal inferiority. Jesus was totally under the authority of God the Father, yet... He is equally God. When God calls women in the church to recognize the headship of men, it is not because women are unequal or inferior, but because there is a God-ordained order of authority to be respected. Now, God's order is also reflected in nature. So we read on, Paul asked the church to judge within themselves whether or not they are reflecting the reality of this headship. Verse 13, judging yourselves, is it comely? Okay, and this word comely means well-fitting, okay? It means, it means well done, well designed. Is it, is it comely? Is it good? That a woman pray unto God uncovered. 
Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So here's the deal. This is not a passage to show why Christian men should, have long hair, or should not have long hair. That is not the context. <laughs> Hairstyles vary between nations and ethnicities and styles of hair have come and gone for centuries. I mean, if, if this was the context, then the women at MBT would need to bring their hats and veils to church next week. That's what they'd need to do. I mean, if this, was, if this law was going to be treated with precise equality, then next week all the women should show up with hats and the men's hair will be short. Guys, will have to cut, cut your hair short. The passage says, now I want to I really investigate this just for a moment before we close. Doth not even na- na- nature itself teach you this? That, it, that, that for a man to have long hair is a shame. Now listen, we know that nature in this regard, as it concerns the length of men's hair, nature's working against men. Amen, Uriah? (laughs) Oh, oh, don't laugh. Don't laugh. I'm going to remember that you're laughing. Because two years from now, some of you dudes, it's going to be the same situation. That's okay. It's because nature's at work. It just means that Uriah has more testosterone than you guys with the lush hair. That's all that means. It's the result of testosterone. Nature at work. Making men's hair short since a long time ago. 6,000 B.C. Um, But women, on the other hand, tend to have richer, fuller hair, don't they? I mean... That is unless you're Tavita. His hair is very lush. Um, And it's often a symbol of their effeminacy, isn't it? Through through lots of culture, throughout time, a woman's hair uh, is her glory and then it declares her effeminacy. Okay. But ultimately, what is important is that within my nature as a Christian, God has built in convictions that should prevent me from effeminate behavior and women from masculine behavior. A Christian with healthy convictions should be disturbed or ashamed to reflect or participate in anything that would dishonor our God-given maleness or femaleness. That is what this passage teaches. And it happens to use Corinth as an example. And in their culture, that looked a particular way. See, length of hair is not the issue, even though it's our, it's our example. If we impose this issue on America in 2022, it doesn't even translate. You understand? It doesn't even translate. How would you determine how long is too long? And again, I mean, it's different even between ethnicities, right? I mean, black folks' hair is so much different than white folks' hair that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even, how would you even distinguish between the two? How short's too short? How long's too long? I mean, you'd have to go to the Talmud to find out, wouldn't you? Or some sort of fundamentalist handbook. Some of the most effeminate men that I've ever met have short hair. 
And some of the most masculine women that I've ever met have long hair. The customary differences between first century Corinth and, tw- and 21st century America do, they're not even the same. They do not translate. It's not the same. But what can be elucidated here is very simple. It's very simple, and it's this. And I gotta say, this has gotta be a key point because y'all are messed up. Our world is jacked. Key point. Nature distinguishes between male and female, and so should we. Now, we do that differently than they did in the first century. Our lines, our delineations, our cultural distinguishments, they're different. But they ought to exist, they do exist, and we ought to adhere to them. Why? Why? Because our primary responsibility is to reflect before a lost world that God does things orderly. That his creation is made in order. That our very nature declares that order. And that he deserves for us to submit to him in this way. That it's honoring to God for us to function as though men and women are different and that there is order in his creation. Verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. If any man wants to contradict his nature, that is not a custom that we're willing to indulge here. The same way Paul was not willing to indulge it in the first century in Corinth. He wasn't willing to put up with that. And so if you say you have another custom, listen, I want to beg you and I want to plead with you. That God's way is better. And that your way and your views on gender will only leave you more angry, more confused, chasing after things that you will never attain. You will, you will never find peace where you're going. And so really, today's sermon is a call for us to acknowledge whether or not we're submitted to God's order or we're submitted to the ordinances of men. What are we gonna be submitted to? And so that might, that might revolve around a gender issue. You, you might have a gender issue that you need to lay down. Maybe something that was taught to you or something that media has been telling you for a long time. Or maybe you have a friend that's convinced you because they're trans or because they, you know, they claim non-binary status or whatever it might be. And, and you love them and you care for them. And, and you have a hard time saying that you can disagree with them and still love them. Well, that's, that's a line in the sand that they've drawn, not you. Okay. We can, we can disagree with people and still love them with all of our heart and serve them and, and protect them, right? But listen to me. You've got to decide whether or not you agree with God or you agree with the world. You've got to decide. And so that might revolve around a gender issue, but it might revolve around any issue, any political issue or, or any idea that you've adopted somewhere along the way that you're recognizing for, your, for the very first time as you look at God's word, that is broken thinking, that there's something broken about it, there's something that's not right. Now listen to me, I wanna tell you right now, I wanna be very sensitive to the fact that this, for some of you, this is an incredibly personal, very personal sermon. And it might take you some time to work through some of these ideas. And so if you're not ready to come forward and pray with someone or let go of something immediately, do me a favor, 
If you desire to know God and his word, would you just consider meeting someone and talking about it with a Bible open? And, and give God the benefit of the doubt that if he can hang the stars with precision, that he also has a plan for you. And that if he made you to be a woman, that's good. And if he made you to be a man, that's good. Now you might have same-sex attraction issues and there might be things that you need to work through. That's okay. No one's afraid of that. No one's afraid of that. You're loved in this place. And those are all things that we can work through over time. But let's just agree with God today. God's design is good and it's worthy of our submission and it's worthy of us acknowledging his authority over our life because after all, he did send Jesus Christ to die for us. And so if you have, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. If you have something you need to pray about, if you need to meet with someone, go ahead and come forward. There are people that love you that are gonna be waiting up here and they wanna talk to you. I know that some of this is hard, but man, everything good, man, is hard. Everything worthy is generally hard. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for your design. You've, design, you've designed this world in a very unique way and you've designed men and women in a very unique way. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that we live in a world that has um, rebelled against you, not just at the level of acknowledging Christ and, or dismissing the gospel, but at the, at the very point of creation, like at our very identity, at our very core, the very nature of who we are, at our biological level, we have denied you. God, forgive us. God, forgive us of the darkness that we choose every day. God, forgive us of the lies that we adopt, that we own. God, forgive us. We know that you are love. We know that you are light. And so, Lord, I pray even right now that you would be working in lives and that you would be calling people to the light and you would be calling people to your love that the gospel would, would resonate, that it would shine, and it would expose anything in our lives that we've been holding onto, we've been refusing to acknowledge, ways in which our ideas contradict your, own, contradict your own. Lord, help us to see those things and to lay them down in humility right now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.